Psalm 22, for the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Thank you, Becky, very much. Um, and good morning, everybody. It's, isn't it great to be together? We love these, these August, July and August uh, summer mornings on Sundays when we can join the congregations. It's lovely to look out and see familiar faces that I don't see very often. 
Uh, it's lovely to see some new faces. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you afterwards. And it's lovely, I know there's some visitors here. Uh, Hosway's parents, very welcome. It's great to have you here as well. If you're a visitor, lovely to have you with us. Um, we're going to look at uh, some psalms over the next six weeks. We're starting with a wonderful psalm this morning. So let's uh, pray and ask for God's help as we do that. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that your spirit which inspired the words that we've just read to be written, is the same spirit that is here now uh, to speak to us through them. We pray that that's what you do, that you would teach us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd challenge us, and that ultimately you would make us want to praise Jesus more, to live for him and to be more like him. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Amen. Uh, now, this time last week, uh, we were getting ready for the men's Wim- uh, Wimbledon men's final. And um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to say both of these guys' surnames wrong, but it was Al Kadath. I'm looking at Nelly. Wow. We, Eng- in English, Alcaraz. <laughs> it's a terrible pronunciation. And uh, Djokovic. And um, I, was, I was involved in the afternoon service last week, so I could only watch the beginning of the match. And uh, I sat down, I watched it, and, and honestly, it was a bit embarrassing it was a bit awkward because Alcaraz was just being thrashed I don't know if you saw it but uh, that first set he didn't win a single game until the very last game of the set he lost a set 6-1 and uh, I was thinking poor guy this has just got defeat written all over it it's poor you know he get, makes it to his first final and uh, he's decimated it's a foregone conclusion imagine my surprise at the end of the service, I was not checking it during the service. Uh, at the end of the service, when I, when I logged on, and he'd won the game against all the odds. Uh, he'd come through, he'd beaten Djokovic. A mighty victory against the odds. And as we start this new series, we're looking at Psalm 22, and that's kind of what happens there. There's, there's an apparent uh, tragic loss going on. There's, there's despair uh, and yet it ends in amazing victory. And this is a psalm of David. If I was to ask you, uh, what's the most famous event from David's life? The most famous event of all the things he did, what's the one thing he's known for? What would you say? Goliath. Killing Goliath. He walks out against this enormous giant. Everybody in the whole army is too scared to fight him. This guy's beaten everybody. He's armed to the teeth. Uh, he's tough as nails. And out walks the shepherd boy with a sling and a stone. Looks ridiculous. It looks hopeless. Flings the sling, and he scores an incredible victory. And so uh, this time we're looking at mirrors that journey uh, from apparent hopeless defeat to eventual glorious victory. And just as we dive in, you see, um, on the next slide, you'll see a few, some three mountains. I remember a long time ago, I was taught uh, a preaching course by an amazing guy called David Jackman. I didn't learn too much, unfortunately, but I did learn that uh, when you're reading the Psalms, you can think about three peaks that go throughout. The first peak is the experience of the author, the person who wrote it. You don't want to rush over that because they wrote out of their own experience. So we're going to spend a bit of time dwelling on that. The second peak is what the Psalm shows us about Jesus. And we're going to spend some time on that too. And then the third peak that we want to get to is what it means for us and how it speaks to us today. So that's where we're going. Um, Now, although this psalm was written by David, we don't know exactly when he wrote it, but it was clearly a very dark moment in his life. 
In fact, the whole of the first half of the psalm is full of anguish and suffering. Did you notice that as we read through? David felt forsaken by God. Look at verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And then look ahead to verses 6 to 8. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. You can almost hear them sneering, ridiculing him for trusting in the Lord, even as he suffers. And the Lord apparently does nothing to help. And verses 11 to 18, it's the same theme. Bulls surround him, roaring lions open their mouths wide. I'm poured out like water, he says. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. My mouth is dried up like a pot's head. It's an outpouring of anguish. And it is clear that David felt very, very distant from God. In fact, he uses the word forsaken. Like God wasn't hearing him, as if God wasn't there. And what makes that so striking is that David was saying this. The one who had fought Goliath and won. The one who had been chosen and anointed by Samuel. The king who was loved by his people. And yet, these verses show us that there were still times when even he felt distant from God. More than that, when he felt forsaken. And what is just as striking when you think about it is that he publicly admitted that. He could have been too ashamed. Uh, He could have preferred to keep his struggle private. He might have reasoned that, you know, maybe he should... Put up, put on, uh, keep up appearances, put on a good face for the sake of his people. But he was open. He was real. He was honest. And he's not the only one who does that in the Bible. There are countless examples of men and women of God whose faith was severely tested at times. They suffered. They grieved. They prayed for deliverance which didn't come in the way they expected. And God's word doesn't hide that because God's word is honest and real. And I find that very encouraging because there will be times when we feel forsaken or alone or that God isn't hearing us. I'm sure there are some of us right now who are feeling like that. And it can be tempting to think that we're the only ones, that that nobody else struggles. You look around, everyone else is doing well, they're strong faith, they're looking happy. But it's not true. And David knew what it felt like. David was honest about it. Uh, And we can be too. We can be honest with God. That's the first step. And then we can be honest with each other. There's nothing to be ashamed of. So David begins this psalm in despair. But then the obvious question is, well, how does he respond? What does he do? How does he cope? Well, next slide. David reminds himself of God's faithfulness in the past. Look at verses 3 to 5. He says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. Do you see what he's doing? He's reminding himself of what he knows about God to be true. His character, his power, 
his track record of faithfulness. Because David wasn't the first one to cry out to God for deliverance. He'd heard stories from years gone by uh, when his ancestors had felt just like he was feeling now. Fearful, alone, forsaken. And they'd cried out and they'd been saved. They'd put their trust in the Lord and he delivered them. And then in verses 9 and 10, David reminds himself that God isn't just faithful. He's personal. He knows David personally, intimately. And he has done from day one. Have a look at those verses. You brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. David's recalling God's love for him. How he's made him. How he created him. How he's nurtured him. How he's called him. And if he's done all that... Why would he abandon him now? And recalling those truths about God's faithfulness and about God's love gives him the faith to trust him, just like his ancestors did. Even as he's being mocked for trusting God in the midst of suffering, he is indeed trusting God in the midst of suffering. It's bleak, it's hard, it's lonely, it's crushing. But as long as he remembers God's faithfulness and God's love, he has hope. And from verse 22, there's a change. We can see that hope flowing through as David has confidence in God's victory in the future. The whole tone of the psalm changes. He looks forward to a time when his suffering will be over, when he will be restored. Look at verses 23 and 24. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him, revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. It's an amazing change, isn't it? From the despair of verses 1 and 2 to the confidence that he hasn't been forgotten. That God still loves him and has heard his cries. But not only that, because he starts looking beyond his own circumstances to a time when all nations will bow down and worship the Lord. Look at 27 and 28. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And 30 to 31, future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. It's an incredible transformation. It's a, it's a wonderful vision. But you notice it's so much bigger than David. In fact, this whole psalm, both the suffering that he describes and the resolution that he looks forward to, is bigger than David. We know that David suffered uh, in many ways in his lifetime. Lots about his life is written in, in scripture. But there's no record of him ever experiencing anything quite of the magnitude that he describes here in Psalm 22. Alistair Begg puts it like this, um, the reality of his own experience does not encompass the totality of what his poem conveys. And the reason for that is that he's pointing to something that is bigger than him. 
that is beyond him. He is prophesying. Just a few weeks ago, uh, we we read together in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 21, prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what's happening here. David is speaking out of his own experience, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is writing something that is beyond him, something prophetic. And if parts of this psalm sounded familiar to you as we read through it, then you will already know that he was pointing to the suffering and the death and then the glorious victory of Jesus Christ. Now, this is where your, your Bibles are going to come in. We're going to do some, some work. Um, if you have a Bible, keep your finger in Psalm 22 and then look up Matthew 27. And we're going to see just how amazing this prophecy is. We could go to various places in the Gospels, but let's, try, let's just go to Matthew 27. And let's see how incredible this prophecy from Psalm 22 is. So Psalm 22, verse 18 says this, They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Look at Matthew 27, verse 35. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. David foresaw that. He prophesied that. Psalm 22, verse 7 says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. Matthew 27, 39. Those who passed by him hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. Psalm 22, verse 8. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Okay, Matthew 27, 43. They're saying the same thing. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. Wants him for he said, I am the son of God. They're mocking him. They're insulting him. They're ridiculing him on the cross. And finally, as Jesus dies, Matthew records him saying in verse 46, those devastating words that we've just read in verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the words of Psalm 22 take on a whole new gravitas, a whole new sense of meaning. Because, yes, David suffered, but he didn't suffer like Jesus suffered. Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was mocked, Jesus was ridiculed, Jesus was insulted and humiliated. Jesus knew what it was to be forsaken, to be separated from his heavenly Father. And the amazing thing is that unlike David, he chose to do it. He chose this path of suffering because he knew it was the only way to bring us back to God. Jesus was faithful to his Father and to us. We just sang in our last song, Oh to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin, every bitter thought, every evil deed, crowning your blood-stained brow. Why? This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us. He took the blame. He bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. As Jesus suffered and died on the cross, as he was separated from the Father by the weight of our sin, he took the penalty that we deserved. He was punished so that we can go free. He was forsaken so that we never will be. And he opened the way for that glorious vision that David foresaw, but without knowing when or how it could possibly happen. 
Because there's one more parallel that I want us to see between Psalm 22 and the gospel accounts of Jesus' death on the cross. This time we're in John chapter 19. Uh, You can turn to it if you would like to. John chapter 19. Um, And uh, these are the very last words uh, recorded uh, by John of Jesus before he died. So Psalm 22 verse 31, the very last verse says he has done it he has done it what does that remind you of john chapter 19 verse 30 it is finished he has done it it is finished jesus the perfect lamb of god was the perfect sacrifice for our sin no further payment is required it's paid in full he's done it it's finished he's victorious And so the cross is transformed from a horrific, tragic, outrageous miscarriage of justice into the most surprising and glorious victory that the world has ever seen. From something that looked utterly hopeless, but that became the very source of hope for all who would trust in it. It is Jesus who is our source of hope and confidence and joy. It is Jesus who generation after generation after generation have been told about and will be told about until he returns. It is his righteousness that they have proclaimed and that we proclaim. And it is because of him that we declare it is finished. He's done it. Verse 31, he's done it. We are redeemed, we are loved, we are safe. Friends, there are some of us today feeling something of what David describes at the start of this psalm. Weary, distant from God, that he's not hearing us. Maybe some of us are feeling forsaken. There are hard things going on, very real struggles, genuine suffering. And if we're not feeling that now, the chances are that if we live long enough, we probably will. So we need to know and we need to remember that God is faithful. God understands. And that God loves us. And through Christ, God will deliver us. Even as David wrote in his despair, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He clung on by faith. He trusted God through his suffering. And so must we. So let me just draw out three wonderful truths about God that we can trust. First of all, trust in God's word. We've been hearing this from to Peter, haven't we? Stand firm in God's word. Trust in God's word. This psalm is an amazing testimony to the authenticity of scripture. If you have doubts about the reliability of the Bible, perhaps if you're looking into Christianity, you're very welcome. It's great to have you here. But how do you explain this psalm in all its prophetic detail, written by someone a thousand years before crucifixion had even been invented? Before the Romans had emerged as a global superpower, there's no way that David could have prophesied or made up all that happened at the cross. There's no way he could have foreseen the glorious vision of every nation praising God and declaring his righteousness. The only explanation is divine inspiration. The only logical conclusions are that these are the very words of God that we have in our hands. And that's important, because you will hear people undermine the Bible. You may even come across people who mock you for 
living your life by the Bible. Perhaps you even have doubts yourself about, do I believe everything that's in here? But we need to know and to believe that this is the inspired word of God and we can trust it. We can trust what it says, including and especially about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It leads us to the second thing we can trust. We can trust in God's love. When we feel distant or scared or alone or forsaken, it's easy to think that God doesn't love us. But it's not true. And just as David reminded himself of the reality of God's love by looking back, so must we. But we have something so much better to look back to. The cross. At 1 John 4 verses 9 and 10 say this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus' death on the cross was the greatest expression of love that the world has ever seen. And he did it for you. And it also means that he understands your pain. He knows how it feels to be betrayed and mocked and abused. He's not cold or distant. He's not an impersonal deity. He's kind and compassionate and able to empathise with whatever you're going through. So whether the sun is shining down on you, as we sung earlier, or if you're on the road marked with suffering, you can trust in God's love. And finally, we can trust in God's victory. Because as well as proving God's love, the cross achieved God's final and unstoppable victory. Jesus has paid for sin and conquered death. The devil and all who stand against God are already defeated and will be condemned on judgment day. So we can trust, as David did, that our sorrow will be turned to joy, our despair to celebration. Our suffering will end and we will live in peace and happiness for eternity. You know, David wasn't the only one who, who, to prophesy the nations coming together and bowing down before the Lord. The Apostle John saw it too in Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. Uh, chapter 21, verse 6 and 7 say this, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give, without water, give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. That is where history is headed. That is our future if we trust in Christ. Victory is certain. So if life is hard now, if life is hard in the future... Hang on. Trust God's word. Trust God's love. Trust in God's victory. Because he will never forsake you. Shall we pray? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that what looked like a tragic defeat was actually the most stunning victory in history. 
we thank you for the love that you showed us by sending your son and that he showed by willingly dying in our place so that we might be redeemed. Help us, Lord, please, especially when we suffer and we feel far from you, to trust in your word, to trust in your love, and to trust in your victory. And we ask that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.